on today's episode of May the Record Reflect. Sometimes we have participants who, this is the first kind of training they've done since they were in law school. And so sometimes it can be adjustment because our faculty are really committed to the idea, as I think lots of law school adjuncts are, but our faculty particularly aren't training students. They are training their colleagues. Like everyone is really invested in this idea that I'm offering you training now because I have something that can help you, but that doesn't mean we're in some sort of hierarchical relationship because you also may be bringing something to the table that is going to help me and be a benefit for me. It's it's much more, we're colleagues and I know this one thing that might help you, but you might know 10 things that are gonna help me and you have relationships I don't have. And I think that makes it really different That was Ronnie Lot Choi, and this is May the Record Reflect. Hello and welcome back. This is Marcy Mangan, your host for the monthly podcast of the National Institute for Trial Advocacy. And I am excited to host a different type of episode today, a slight departure from the usual interview about trial advocacy skills. Today is book club day, and here to help me so that you don't have to listen to me talk to myself is my Nita colleague and friend, Ronnie Lot Choi. Now, if her name rings a bell, good for you. That means you've been listening to May the Record Reflect. I had Ronnie on as a guest last year, along with Kate Sandlin, to talk about cross-examination, and now she's back. Ronnie is Nita's education director. She came to us from Emory Law School, where she administered the law school's peer-to-peer academic coaching program and designed and implemented academic success and bar prep programs. She has brought that experience to Nita and now oversees our curriculum design and faculty recruitment, training, and development programs. Since coming to us last summer, she's wasted exactly no time leaving her mark on our curriculum our faculty, and our program attendees. So, needless to say, I was more than happy to spend part of an afternoon in dialogue with Ronnie about professional development. Welcome to our book club. So today we've got kind of a different episode. We're going to be doing a little book club, and I've got my friend and colleague, Nita's Education Director, Ronnie Lot Choi, with me today. And we're going to be talking about a book that I heard discussed in another forum. And I thought, wow, this sounds just like exactly what we do here at Nita. And these concepts, slipstreaming and wormholing, are really the Nita learning by doing methodology. And so I asked Ronnie if she would join me to talk about these concepts and tell me that I'm right about them. And so I'm so appreciative that you are here to do that with me, Ronnie. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really excited. Um, I, I totally agree. When I started reading the book, it jumped out at me. This is what we do at Nita. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about that. Great. So the title of the book is Slipstream Time Hacking, 
How to Cheat Time, Live More, and Enhance Happiness by Benjamin P. Hardy. And so a lot of the book is kind of woo. It's kind of quantum physics and uh, very life coachy. And some of it doesn't really apply to Nita, but the rest of it that does really does. And what Benjamin Hardy presents is the idea of using time compression in three different ways that speed you along to your destination and that gets you to where you want to go with less time and less effort. And so there are three techniques that he talks about. The first one is called a wormhole. The second one is a slipstream. And then the third one is a concept called Parkinson's Law. And we're going to talk about all of those in order. But the first one that we're going to talk about is a wormhole. And anyone who knows anything about science fiction or science itself is is probably familiar with this concept. Um, A wormhole is an experience that compresses time spent in in pursuit of expertise. It is a shortcut through time and space. And some of it is just luck. You know, you find the right mentor or you land your dream job or you read a book that, you know, blows your brain open and expands your mind and changes the way that you think. But you can also seek to enter a wormhole. And to my way of thinking, Nita is a great place to do it. You are surrounded by people who are pursuing the same thing that you are, which is learning how to become a a better and more effective trial attorney while being mentored by people who are already doing that. The very best judges, the very best law professors who run trial ad programs, and the very best private practitioners. And so, Ronnie, from your experience and perspective as our director of education, I wonder if you could speak just a little bit about how Nita is a wormhole. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually going to use an example kind of from my own life of how the Nita methods were a wormhole for me. When I was in law school, my second year of law school, the law school I attended, Emory Law, requires everyone, all students, to do a week-long trial advocacy intensive, which is very much a Nita program. So Nita program in the law school, the faculty are primarily NIDA faculty. Um, the program uses NIDA case files. It, it utilizes the NIDA method of critique. And so for me, my second year of law school, I was able to participate in this program for a week-long program. And it really was a wormhole for me. I got the experience of in law school, trying a mock trip case, having this week-long intensive program that ended in that jury trial and got to work with all of these NIDA faculty. Marcy, you actually had Steve Wood as a guest recently on the podcast. And Steve was my um, team leader for that program. So not only did I get all of these skills, direct examination, cross-examination, opening, close in this intensive format, giving me all the experience I would have gotten having done three or four semester-long courses in the scope of that week. But I met all of these amazing people like Steve, like Anita Royal, um, like, you know, um, just all these Nita faculty, Zelda Harris, Professor Zelda Harris, who I wouldn't have ran into in my everyday life for years and years and years. 
Like, I hope I would have still interacted with these fantastic attorneys, but it was probably 10 years in the future. And I got to do it as a second year law student. And those relationships and those skills really took me to a place um, that kind of has led directly to where I am now as well. The meeting those people, then meeting them early, and then coming back and teaching with them. So for me, that was a real wormhole. And I've seen the same thing happen with our participants in NIDA because it's, it's really a, a similar thing. They come for, for example, a two-day deposition program. But in that two days of deposition training, they're doing the equivalent of several depositions. So they're, you know, they're leapfrogging beyond where they would have been. It would have taken them another year, another two years to do the number of depositions that they're kind of giving, getting the equivalent of. Plus, they're meeting all of these folks um, who are already doing this, who are already, for example, in the Atlanta program, we have a faculty member named Henry Sue, who's just fantastic and, you know, has been a partner in multiple law firms, has been a government attorney. Hopefully they might meet someone like that, right, in the course of their practice. But Anita, they're skipping ahead. They now have a relationship with a person like Henry based on these two days. And for me, that really stood out as, wow, Nita really is a wormhole. You get to meet all these people. You would hope to meet people like that one day, but you get to do it quickly and you get all that experience. And the thing about it too, is that it's beyond just networking. Networking is, you know, glad handing, you're making small talk and, you know, just exchanging names. But with when you're doing it in the context of training, you're working with people who are actually invested in all the outcomes for you. They care about you acquiring the skills, you perfecting the skills, polishing them, and then taking them outside into your career where you are actually applying the skills to the benefit of your client. And they care about that. It's not just in the need of classroom, classroom that they care about it, but also beyond that. We encourage people to stay in touch with us and to reach back out so that we can be helpful. Well, and they do. So I, you know, several examples spring to mind. But for example, um, and I judge Amy Hanley, who's the program director for our Women in Trial program. I've been on the receiving emails of emails she's forwarded to me from a participant who did a program and she worked with. And now this individual has a question that maybe I can assist with or make a connection with. And again, it's not just networking. It's a real relationship that you're able to form in this short period of time based on your common interests, your common pursuits. You know, like in Hardy talks about in the book, we're, we're working towards a common goal. So outside of NIDA training, is there any other kind of wormhole that you have ever gone through just to kind of give another example of how wormholes exist in our lives all over the place? Um, Yeah, I actually have two, one professional and then one personal as well. Um, Professionally, when I graduated from law school, I had a job lined up at a firm I would eventually work for. Fantastic firm. But there was a period, there was a gap between when I started at that firm and when I graduated from law school. Um, I had about eight months. And during that time, during that 
period, I went and worked as a special um, special assistant district attorney, an apprentice at the DeKalb district attorney's office. And so for me, that was a real wormhole because I knew I was going to this large civil firm and I was so excited about it. But the trajectory there, I wouldn't have had the opportunity likely to try a case for a long period of time, for years potentially, because of the nature of the work, because of I would be a first year associate. That's just not an experience I was likely to get. But because I spent those eight months at the DeKalb County District Attorney's Office before going to work for that firm, I was able to try um, several cases to a jury. And so that was a real wormhole for me. And it was kind of luck, connections. It was people I'd met, um, NIDA faculty members who recommended it. Um, so that was huge. So I got to draft indictments and large scale indictments. I got to argue, you know, present to a grand jury. I was able to, like I said, try cases, do state speeches in front of juries. And so when I went into the law firm, I had all of this experience that was pretty unique for a first year associate. And I wouldn't have had that if I'd gone straight from law school to the civil firm. And so that was a huge wormhole for me. And I suppose that that the first wormhole that you jumped through was that NIDA training that you talked about during your 2L year. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, doing the NIDA training, doing mock trial were the people I met um, that opened that door for me. Um, on the personal front, this, it sounds a little bit sad and it is sad, but, you know, my father died relatively young in his life, not when I was very young, but before my peers' parents did. And I felt like that was a real wormhole for me too, in that all of a sudden I was in this place where I had responsibilities I had not anticipated having for many years to come, you know, care of my grandmother, th you know, you, you have to deal with things like power of attorney, things like that. And so it was a real wormhole, not one I would have chosen, but in some ways there were some positives with it too. And as I was reading, I was thinking about even in that, which was this personal event that was kind of a, a wormhole I wouldn't have chosen, it was still really important for me to have mentors in it, just like in the professional wormhole. I felt like there were, most of my peers hadn't experienced it, but uh, my good friend, Annie Dietz, who I'm not sure has been on the podcast, been on the webcast, had gone through something similar and just having mentors to see what that process of grief looks like, what happiness can look like afterwards was really important to me too. And I know we'll talk more about mentorship, but um, that, was a, that was a personal one. And there was a quote in the book that I think, I wrote it down. The speedy traveler, someone who's gone through a wormhole, has far more time than his old companions who are still living on slower planets. And that's what it felt like. So I'm going through that personal wormhole as well, was that I needed a guide to help me on this new planet I was living on. And mentorship was just as important in my personal wormhole as well. Yeah, you really had to grow up very quickly and assume a lot of responsibilities at the same time that you are trying to process loss and grief. Yeah, um, so that was one. And then the, I've got lots of other wormholes that, as I was reading the book, looking back on, um, after my undergraduate education, before I went to law school, I did Teach for America. So I taught 
eighth grade for two years. And that was a big wormhole for me, I think, as well in kind of developing responsibility, um, all of a sudden having responsibility for the fates of these kids in your care. And then another kind of professional wormhole for me was during law school, after my 1L year, I had a volunteer internship on the campaign for Congressman, on a campaign for Congressman John Lewis, um, who I think, you know, most listeners will know of. And it was amazing. You know, sometimes it's hard to meet your heroes. They might disappoint you. That was not disappointing at all. He was everything you hope and want. But it also was amazing because of the people he surrounded himself with, many of whom then were early in their careers and now are doing all of this incredible work. And so I feel like that was a huge wormhole to become connected to these people who are now just movers and shakers, not just in Atlanta, but in the Southeast, in the country. And it all goes back to that one unpaid internship that I could not have predicted would have that effect. And that was a huge wormhole for me. Well, that's a fantastic one. Um, I have a wormhole myself. I have a, a couple of professional ones, but personally, the, the biggest one that I can think of is um, premarital training that my, my then fiance and I went through when we were in college. We met when we were really young and we both came from families that had divorced and did not have, we didn't have great um, role models in communication and how to manage conflict and be angry without being destructive. And so I was in, in one of the classrooms at, uh, in one of the classroom buildings at my university. And I noticed these flyers up for something called premarital relationship enhancement program or prep. And this was in the early nineties. And, um, I think my husband and I had been together for maybe a year and a half when I spotted these. And this was just a workshop about couples communication and how to manage conflict. And the, the rationale behind it was if you learn how to manage conflict and you create these rules of engagement, so to speak, um, for how you talk to one another when you're talking about difficult things, if you do that before you ever have any problems, before you need to be in couples therapy, you're just going to jump through a wormhole that helps you not have marital problems. And so it just taught us a lot, all of these interpersonal ways of speaking to each other. Like um, we did these crazy, goofy feeling little role playing exercises, just like what we do at NIDA. Um, and it was just to help us, you know, try this on and get used to the idea. And one of the ideas presented was when you're having a discussion with your partner, you don't interrupt them. And so the facilitators handed out these little squares of carpet, which meant whoever's holding the piece of carpet actually has the floor. And so you don't interrupt them. And so... I really think that because we were both so young and our relationship together was the first one where we've been kind of in a long-term thing and looking really toward the future, it just, it was such a formative experience. And we talked about things that other couples would end up fighting about, like 
what are your unconscious expectations about the division of labor in your marriage, in your relationship? Uh, if you're the man, are you going to be opposed to changing a poopy diaper someday? And, you know, people do fight about that kind of stuff. Or who's going to do the laundry? Who's taking care of the yard work? Who handles the checking account? That kind of stuff. And when you talk about them before you have any kind of conflict, before there's a problem, they're a lot easier to manage. So Steve and I are celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary later this year. And it's been pretty smooth going the whole way. And so that's my wormhole. That's a huge endorsement. Um, when you were talking, though, it reminded me of another kind of Nita wormhole. Um, when you were talking about talking about all the problems you may have before their problems. Um, I was actually in a Nita program recently where one of our faculty members, I'll name her name because she's doing a webcast soon and everyone should watch it, um, Denerica Brooks, um, sat down with a group of participants who were practicing beginning a deposition. And apparently the group was struggling a little bit with how to start the deposition, which as someone who the first time I took a deposition, I hadn't had a NIDA course and it was so scary, but her group was struggling. And so Generica had them just stop and pause and say, okay, well, what are all the questions you have about how a deposition works? Not your client, but you. like. What are your questions about the court reporter's role? What are the things you would want to know if you were doing this? And she had them think of every question that might come up, again, before they're in the situation where they are just drawing a blank and they've paid a court reporter who's there. And it was just such a great exercise. And I feel like that was really her creating a wormhole for those participants, having them take a beat, brainstorm, figure out all the problems that might occur, and then address them ahead of time. And it just reminded me of that. Sounds like that's a little bit about what you did in your in your premarital counseling as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, just getting that stuff out of the way before it's actually a problem is really fantastic. And it's a real time saver. So the next time compression technique is called a slipstream. And the easiest way to think about what a slipstream is is in the context of professional bicycle racing in the Peloton. There is a concept called drafting, and it's when something is in motion and it creates a wake of energy behind it that pulls others into the flow. And so when they are in that draft that the leader or the small pack of leaders at the beginning, at the front, have created, then the expenditure of energy for those who follow is reduced because all the work is being done, done up front. And so when you think about, if you ever watch the Tour de France, you might wonder, well, why is the overall leader, the guy wearing the, the yellow jersey, why is he riding in the middle of the pack? If he's the leader, shouldn't he be out front? Well, no, you don't want him out in the front. His team wants him to conserve his energy. So he's slipstreaming by being in the center of the pack or toward the end of the peloton, where he is slipstreaming and he's saving his energy because he's got to burst out at the end of, you know, a 150 mile ride and have the energy to do that. And you can only do that when you're riding in a slipstream and you're saving, you're conserving your own energy, but still keeping pace. 
And so, Ronnie, can you think of how, can we talk about how Nita is also a slipstream? And once you enter it, you move faster through time and space? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can talk about kind of in two different ways. Um, I recently had the opportunity to observe our NIDA teacher training in San Francisco, um, which was the program directors were Judge Mark Drummond, um, Mike Kelly, and Doris Chang. And they're some of our most like talented faculty, but also they are just wizards at this teacher training. And when I was thinking about slipstreaming, I was thinking about that. So for teacher training, you have these great, um, instructors themselves, and we bring other folks who we hope become instructors as well, or who've already started teaching, and they get to learn from everything Doris and Mark and Mike have done in the course of their careers with Nita, and they share all of that knowledge over a compressed period of time, and everyone at the training is kind of in their slipstream. Now they get to draft and learn from Mark, learn from Mike, love, learn from Doris. They don't have to have all the same experiences the three of those folks have had, but they get to build on it and get the benefit of it. So I think that model is a real kind of slipstream, but also Nita itself, at least for me, certainly, and for so many people, the relationships that I've formed, um, especially for example, relationships with our, fem- our, um, our faculty who identify as women, as someone who identifies a wo- as a woman in the legal profession, have just been invaluable to see these women who've kind of gone before me and dealt with the same experiences that I may be experiencing. And I'm able to draft onto that a little bit. So I'm not recreating the wheel. I don't feel alone um, dealing with it. So I think Nita is a real slipstream in that way, in that you form all these relationships with people who have had experiences you may experience, and they've also had all of these experiences you won't experience because there are differences between all of us, but we can still learn from each other. So I think need is a slipstream kind of narrowly in how we train, but also broadly in that everyone who attends a program gets the benefit of the experiences of our faculty. Yeah, it's not just a slipstream of intellectual enlightenment, which certainly it is, but it's also one of creating these social contacts with others who can help you and develop you. And it's different from, I think, sometimes we have participants who, this is the first kind of training they've done since they were in law school. And so sometimes it can be adjustment because our faculty are really committed to the idea, as I think lots of law school adjuncts are, but our faculty particularly aren't training students. They are training their colleagues. Like everyone is really invested in this idea that I'm offering you training now because I have something that can help you, but that doesn't mean we're in some sort of hierarchical relationship because you also may be bringing something to the table that is going to help me and be a benefit for me. It's, it's much more, we're colleagues, and I know this one thing that might help you, but you might know 10 things that are going to help me, and you have relationships I don't have. And I think that makes it really different than what some participants are used to. And it's not like a CLE either where you're being spoken to. 
It's a much more exchange of ideas. Yeah, it it is kind of peer to peer. I think that's an interesting way of um, putting it, Ronnie. And another thing that um, another point on that is I don't know how many times I've heard from other faculty members that they do as much learning at Anita program as they do teaching, and they learn from fellow instructors, but they also learn from the people who are paying to learn from them because they're getting that kind of feedback and hearing other stories and it just clicks into place in the context of what they're teaching about. And it just kind of um, enriches their, their practice and their understanding of how to teach and how to practice. Yeah, absolutely. I've never gone to a program where I didn't learn as much as I brought to the table. Not in from the participants, from my fellow faculty. And some of it's about the practice of law and some of it's, uh, you know, more about how you exist in the legal community and the way people make connections and what their experiences are like so that I can use that to inform my own teaching and practice as well. Yeah. And then you run across people who you can add to your own personal, personal what I call board of directors, you know, people who mentor you and you mentor them and they're like a sounding board and can become some of the most important people in your life, which I think then leads us into the idea of mentorship, which is another thing that we really focus on here at NIDA. So thinking about this, the interesting thing about mentorship in NIDA, for me is you NIDA, the way it's built is certainly there is mentorship available. And it's part of the program, but often these mentor relationships grow beyond that, that people continue to mentor each other, but they also develop into friendships. And, you know, the mentor relationship may change. You know, I may be a mentor in one context and with the same individual at some point, I'm going to them for mentorship as well, Um, because we're all we are colleagues and we we have these experiences. So I do think that's really unique in kind of the NIDA world. It took me so long to be able to think of many of these folks who I've known since I was in law school, right? Like I met a lot of these people very young. To think of them as my peers, it's, that's been a challenge in some ways, but it's also been this huge blessing and benefit in my life to have these folks who mentored me, helped me, and then also became my my friends along the way too. But I think Nita is set up really well for that kind of mentorship. I also think mentorship formally in um, jobs, like I've worked at places where you have formal mentorship, which can be great, but often that does not continue past the employment relationship. And especially these days, people change jobs all the time. So Nita's the mentorship for me, for of Nita has been so valuable because it transcends that, right? It's not based on a job or a connection. We're not, you know, we're in, not in the Rotary Club together. And once we're not in the Rotary Club, it ends. Nita just encompasses everything through career changes, through types of practice, and because we have faculty who do literally everything, right? If your career goes from civil to criminal, or back to civil, or now you want to go into um, mediation. That's we have folks in NIDA who do that, and we're always willing to connect people 
um, as well. So that's really important to me about mentorship in Nita is that it goes beyond a single relationship. Yeah, and it does. And frankly, at the in the workplace, sometimes there's just not enough time to receive that kind of mentorship, that formal mentorship training, especially in a smaller office. Uh, I know that in big law, they they do that kind of setup, but sometimes you just hit the ground running and you pick up as much as you can on the fly. And sometimes the habits that you pick up along the way are perhaps not optimal. And so if you go through a formal kind of training, like what we do at NIDA and you have mentors, you're going to learn the right way to do things. I've been really fortunate to have um, partners I worked for as an associate who were great, but you don't always want to ask all of your questions because you, you're afraid of seeming uh, like you're, you're not smart or you're not getting it. And so sometimes it can be really helpful to be able to call someone else up outside of that relationship. Um, to to have a conversation in general terms, you know, about how should I approach this? I want to talk to partner X about how I can get more experience in this niche area. Can you help me brainstorm what that conversation might look like? And that's that's where the NIDA folks, I think, are really helpful in that you don't have to worry about impressing anyone. You know, we always say that there is no such thing as a dumb question, but your what you've just said indicates that sometimes there are a situ- there are situations where we might feel like it's a dumb question, right? And I mean, I think we all need sometimes to say, "Is it me? Am I crazy? Or is this you know, is this seem a little odd?" Um, and when you're evalu- things like evaluating job offers, right? If you are thinking about taking a new job, you can't talk to the people you current often. You can't talk to the folks where you currently work about the pros and cons of this new job offer um, because you're not sure you want to leave. And so developing mentorships that are based on the kind of relationships you build and need to give you a place to ask those questions too. So now we are on the third time compression, which is called Parkinson's Law. And I'll give you just a little bit of um, background on that. It is named after a British naval historian, Cyril Northcote Parkinson, who wrote a book, a series of books, actually. And the thing that he is most famous for is the following sentence. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. I love this idea because he is talking about how projects can sprawl if they're kind of open-ended or if the deadline is far too far in the future. Whereas if you've got a shorter deadline, whether it's coming from outside of you or it's something that you're you're imposing on yourself, you're going to get it done a lot more quickly because you will act as if your hair is on fire. And so we can use these self-imposed compressed deadlines to produce, to boost our own productivity because our way, our work again is going to expand so as to fill the time available for its completion. So personally, I do this all the time. I um, I use the Pomodoro method, which is where you set a timer and you just hustle to get as much done as you can in a 25-minute period. And when I'm reluctant to start a project because maybe it feels like it's too overwhelming, there's too much to do, I don't know where to start, 25 minutes is exactly the right amount of time 
to get going and to start building momentum and to kind of disconnect myself from results and rather just get going. And then there are other little tiny projects where 25 minutes will get one or two of them done, like answering some emails that have been languishing in my inbox. So that is my personal observation or experience with Parkinson's law. Um, Ronnie, have you ever had any experience or reflection where when you have too much time, it's too much time? And if you have less time, it's just perfect? Um, Yes. So two things come to mind. The first is when I was doing my um, doctorate in education, I wrote a dissertation, which I think is the perfect example of this because you have just enough time to feel like you always have time left, but you never really have enough time. And so the way, so I, I'm indebted to my major professor, my advisor, because what he, he was an expert, I feel like at this. So he and I would set up weekly check-ins. So for over a year, as I was writing, we spoke almost every week because that outside pressure of knowing that I was going to be speaking with Tim and he was going to say the magic words. So tell me about the progress you've made. I never wanted to say, well, I haven't really made any progress. And so that week time period just was great because if we'd gone, I feel certain if our check-ins had been six weeks apart, I would have made the same amount of progress in six weeks that I made in two weeks when I knew I had that regular check-in. And so I, I think Parkinson's law was really correct there. And I still do that in work with colleagues as well as I set internal deadlines because that outside pressure, even if I know I could always with a colleague say, hey, I'm not quite ready, but the pressure of knowing we have something on the calendar is really helpful. So it's sort of the Pomodoro method, um, but stretched out having those kind of deadlines. Um, The other thing this made me think of is so I have taught um, at the law school level and at the college level as an adjunct, and I used to work in academic support with students. And so often students would come to me when they were probably three weeks out from a due date to kind of talk pros and cons about asking for an extension. And it was almost always the wrong move. There are exceptions when people are dealing with life events, illness, all kinds of things that necessitate it. But for most students, the work product they were going to do in those three weeks was going to be just as good as the work product they do in four weeks. But in four weeks, we have to deal with the difficult conversation with the professor and about is there going to be any sort of penalty for this at this point? And really, again, the work they were going to do in three weeks was going to be substantially about the same because of Parkinson's law. The, the fourth week wasn't going to make it brilliant. It was just going to stress them out for an extra week. Well, and there sure is a lot to be said for a project being done. Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember taking exams in law school, and the only thing I could say was, you know what? No matter what, it will be done in two weeks. I don't know how I'm going to do but I know it will be done. Same with the bar exam. I know I will do it on this date in July and then it will be over. Well, it reminds me too of the, I think it was 
I think it might have been Voltaire who said that um, perfect is the enemy of the good. Absolutely. Something like that. You know, just get get it done, please. So before we wrap up, I wanted to just check in with you and see if there were any other notes that you would have jotted about um, passages that struck you as being really meaningful. I've got one myself, but I wanted to ask you first. No, I'd love to hear yours though. So I think I, the quote I wrote down, it talked about earlier was really, I thought that you, you end up on a different planet. That really spoke to me, but I would love to hear what stood out to you. So mine was actually at the very end of the book. It was in the appendix and it, this is what it was. Never take advice from someone you wouldn't want to switch places with. I love that. I think that's really good career advice too, is to think about what am I striving for and what I want to be in the position of the people who already have that job. So um, this book is actually out of print. Um, it was kind of hard to find. And like I said, I heard about it on um, in a different forum, in a, in a different podcast. And I just thought, wow, this sounds like something that applies to Nita, but I couldn't find it for purchase on Amazon. It really is only available as uh, an ebook for Kindle. It cost us $6 a piece. Can't find it at the library. And it turns out that it's because this book was actually crowdsourced so that it could be self-published. And at times it does read like that, but I thought that it had some really great concepts that have to do with not just our personal lives, but our professional lives. And so I'm so glad that you could um, come onto the podcast and talk about that with us, Ronnie. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. And I agree. I mean, I didn't agree with everything, you know, the author said. And part of it's going to be based on your own value system, right? Like the idea that we always want to achieve more. There are parts that maybe won't speak to you, but I thought some of it was really good about being open to these wormholes and also the idea that we should recognize them. I thought that was pretty fun looking back at my own life and trying to identify what were those wormholes. And really they lined up pretty well with the things I would list for you as being really meaningful in my life too. Um, So I, I thought that was really kind of a neat exercise. Yeah. So on that note, going from one book to another, I wonder what books you are reading for pleasure right now. Um, So I just finished and I highly recommend it because it was fantastic. One called The Shadow of the Wind. And it's a little bit of an older, it's not a new book, but someone had recommended it to me uh, quite a while back. And I finally got around to reading it. I don't know if you've done that. I actually pulled it up on Kindle and I I bought it in 2015 for my Kindle, but I just just read it. Um, it's by Carlos Ruiz Zafon um, and is translated by um, Lucia Graves. And it was kind of part mystery, kind of a love letter to books. And it was really, really fantastic. So I highly, I highly recommend it. The Shadow of the Wind. Great. Well, I have a couple of books that I'm I can recommend too. I would um, love it. I, I love of, getting people's recommendations. Well, I read a lot of library books on my Kindle. Um, I'm trying not to buy so many books because I always I mean, my dream is to move to Europe someday. And I, when I look at things before buying them, I think, is this something I really want to pack? Yes or no? And more often than not, now the answer is no. So I've been checking out books through the Libby app on my Kindle. I love the Libby app. Yes. It, we should plug that for everyone. Go get the Libby <laughs> app. It's fantastic. 
Yeah. The main book that I'm reading right now is called Dinners with Ruth. It's by Nina Totenberg from NPR. And it's all about her long, long friendship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so I've been reading that book. It's fantastic. It's due in nine days. And I am still only 43% of the way through. So that's the first one. I have also started reading Goldust Woman, which is um, a biography of Stevie Nicks which coordinates with something that you and I have been talking about on Teams at NIDA, which is the new TV show Daisy Jones and the Six, um, which is loosely based on um, Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and the formation of Fleetwood Mac. And then the last book that I'm reading is Spare by Prince Harry. And since that book is one that I actually own on my Kindle, um, I'm not very far through it and all these other library books keep coming in. So just like everybody else in the world, I keep treating poor Prince Harry as last, dead last, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great book and very interesting. I'll also share my current Libby book because you can get auto, um, audio books as well. Um, and yeah. so I am listening to, um, a book co-written by Hillary Clinton and Louise Penny. And Louise Penny is the author of the Three Pines mystery, kind of cozy mystery series, which is great. And she and um, Senator Clinton co-wrote a book and it's a thriller about a secretary of state. And so I'm listening to that. And it's called um, State, State of Terror. I should have looked this up. Yes, State of Terror. By Louise Penny and um, Senator Clinton. And it's also very good. Cool. Well, I heard that was a good book. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on board. Well, thank you for inviting me. And so that's a wrap on another episode of May the Record Reflect. I will be back next month with a wonderful interview with a great friend of the podcast, Judge Amy Hanley. And this time she's bringing back with her a fellow Nita Next Generation superstar, Miss Denerica Brooks, for a conversation that you will not want to miss. As always, thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues. And if you have a moment, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by emailing us at customerservice@nita.org. It would mean a great deal to us to hear your thoughts. Until we meet again, happy lawyering. May the Record Reflect is a Nita Studio 71 production. Nita, we are advocacy enhanced, mentorship reimagined. Welcome to the community.